Well, welcome to another Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so glad that you have tuned in today. Um, here's the deal. We, it's Super Tuesday, the first Super Tuesday of 2024. We have election stuff happening. That's gonna, I mean, the, the, the Iowa caucuses are happening any moment, or so it would appear. Everything's starting earlier, and we're still not quite sure who the nominees are going to be. I mean, we've got uh, President Biden scheduled to run for re-election. Of course, Governor Newsom running for re-election. Well, I mean, sorry. <laughs> Maybe it's been a shadow presidency for the past couple of years. I'm not sure. He was the odds-on favorite on the Democrat side until he wasn't. And then, of course, let's let's get ready for the story of the year on the GOP side, which is um, the Donald Trump running as the Republican nominee. Now, there is a very interesting story heating up on the side, and I don't know how much interest it's going to get from both parties, but there are two Democrats who are not, well, they've positioned themselves to run for president. One has actually declared his candidacy. That's Robert Kennedy Jr. He is a lifelong Democrat, but he's an anti-vax guy, but he's a climate change guy. He's kind of a moderate, I mean, in a classic moderate sense. He was running and said, I'm going to be a Democrat candidate. And then the Democrat National Convention got a hold of him, put a bunch of money in his campaign coffers, probably. I mean, I'm not I don't know that for a fact. That's anecdotal. But my hunch is one minute he was nipping at Joe Biden's heels. He had he went from seven percent to nine percent to 20 percent. He was getting he almost had one out of every four Democrat votes at one point. And the Democrats had to get him to go away. So what they did I think rather wisely and astutely is they did something. I, I, my first thought is always money when something like that happens. I mean, some kind of charitable contribution or maybe you donate to his campaign, get a bunch of Democrat donors to start putting money in his coffers. And now he's decided to run as an independent. Now, that's a very serious issue because the fact that he's running as an independent will probably fool a lot of Democrats. They'll say, oh, see, he wasn't a true Democrat, so I can't vote for him. On the other side of the equation, though, there's Joe Manchin. And Joe Manchin, senator from West Virginia, former governor from West Virginia, Joe Manchin, to my knowledge, is the only pro-life Democrat in the U.S. Senate. He announced he would not be running for re-election and has stated that he would be open to the possibility of running for president. Now, if Joe Manchin runs for president, something very interesting will happen in this country. If the Democrat National Committee feels that Joe Manchin is a better Democrat candidate than Joe Biden. I can predict this. Joe Manchin will win over Republicans. The independent voters will look at Joe Manchin versus Donald Trump, and <laughs> there are going to be a whole bunch of evangelical Christians who voted for Trump in 2016. They might have even voted for him in 2020 and then saw the way he handled himself, or didn't, as the case may be, when the election results didn't go his way. And again, I'm not suggesting that he wasn't, that the election wasn't rigged. I believe it was rigged. I, and, and I'm not talking about last minute details and booby traps. Democrats have been working for several years to get the election to where they got wanted it to be. But when Trump won in 2016, they really had to work overtime and they did. There were 82 or so challenges, as you'll recall, right after November 3rd, 2020. There were about 300 and something laws in all nationwide that over the course of time, if you pay close attention, what you see is that the vast majority of those things that the Republicans said were problems in the 2020 election did turn out to be problems. But there's a legal protocol. You can't just say that's wrong 
and then get your way. Donald Trump sent attorneys who did not have standing to fight his cases. He sent Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis. Now, as of this day, and I haven't heard the news yet on whether or not this is happening, there is a movement afoot by the Colorado Bar. There's a couple other people in the, the, the legal world, a couple of other organizations that are actually moving to have Jenna Ellis disbarred. Now, if Jenna Ellis is disbarred, we're in a rabbit trail here, brothers and sisters. So stay with me, Andrew, for just a second. If Jenna Ellis is disbarred, that means she'll no longer have a license to practice law. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think that it sounds horrible, especially to liberals and leftists? Oh, there's that Jenna Ellis, and she was with Donald Trump, and now she's been disbarred. Do you know who else has been disbarred? I mean, there's a long list of people who've served in high-ranking government positions who have been disbarred, to my knowledge. And again, this is anecdotal. I don't have the list in front of me. Former President Bill Clinton was disbarred as a lawyer. Former First Lady and Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, also disbarred as a lawyer. Former First Lady Michelle Obama, you get the idea. Lots of people in the legal profession have been disbarred. And most of them who have risen to prominence would say, so what? went to law school, passed the bar, graduated from law school, practiced for a little while, and then lost my law license. Whoop-dee-dee. In all honesty, if Jenna Ellis were disbarred, so what? At this point, she, at one point on Twitter, people were saying, oh, you, you were censured by the Colorado Law you know, Bar Association. Yak, yak, yak. And now you moved to Florida. Yak, yak, yak. Well, she moved to Florida, ostensibly, to work for Ron DeSantis. I mean, she's been coming out everywhere on social media saying, I support Ron DeSantis. Jenna doesn't support anybody who doesn't pay her. I mean, and I know Jenna. I would tell that to her. Every candidate that she has been endorsing for anything for the past three years, four years, there have been endorsement deals worked out. Lots of people do this. There was a big kerfluffle. I think Maxine Waters here in the House of Representatives in California was using her office to do that type of influence. Uh, Nikki Haley. Oh, my goodness. Did you see what happened in the midterms? Nikki Haley was all over social media. I'm supporting this guy. I'm supporting that girl. They couldn't possibly have that much knowledge of what's happening in these different states. But having that person give you a celebrity endorsement, it helps out. And we'll see how much favor Nikki Haley was able to curry um, from the people that she did help support. Now, the Donald Trump acolytes and Donald Trump himself didn't have a great election cycle in the 2022 midterms. So if Jenna Ellis is disbarred, well, that's the reason why Christina Bob comes on the bottom line show every now and again now, because she's the election attorney for the Donald Trump campaign. But suffice it to say, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how all of this plays out here in 2024. And my commitment to you, and I better get hustling here, (laughs) is Roger's recommendations 2024 are going to find their way into your hot little hands in time for the California primaries. If you have not registered to vote yet, I implore you to register to vote. Every time an election comes up, and I know you're like, man, it's the 2nd of January. We just got through the holidays. We haven't even had the 12th day of Christmas yet. Little Christmas is my former father-in-law used to refer to it as. You know, we haven't even had, you know, baptism of Jesus Sunday at all. <laughs> Come on, man, it's not even Lent. And here you are getting on us about voting. Why? Well, the reason is very simple. I believe that when Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render the God, to God the things that are God's, paying taxes to the government, being a good citizen, abiding by the temporal laws of the state and the city and the county, that's a way that we show our witness 
and then standing up against unjust laws and fighting for people for whom justice has not been properly served. That's also a way to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but doing so glorifying God. But when it comes to your vote, I know too many Christians. I mean, I don't know them personally. That's a frame of figure of speech. There are too many Christians from what we hear from Debbie Wealth now at iVoterGuide.com from uh, from the folks at uh, My Faith Votes, from Craig uh, Huey and the Election Forum. We have the number of people who are tabulating these types of things and looking at the number of people of faith who are A, eligible to vote, and then B, registered to vote, and then C, actually do vote. If you are eligible to vote, I implore you to register to vote. Now, here in the People's Republic of California, if you drive a car, you don't have any choice. You are registered to vote. The motor voter laws saw an increase. There used to be 18 million registered voters in California. I believe that number has now jumped to 21 million. The population didn't go up that much. If anything, over the last decade, the population went down 700,000. But isn't it interesting how in a Democrat-run state with a Democratic supermajority in the state Senate, state assembly, and in the governor's mansion, the number of registered voters in the People's Republic of California went up by 16% while the overall population went down. There's nothing necessarily funny about this. The governor did, in fact, sign legislation to allow illegal immigrants to vote, and just about anybody with a pulse can vote in California and get a driver's license while you're at it. But according to Jason Yates at My Faith Votes, the number of Christian Americans who are eligible to vote and are registered to vote but did not vote is staggering. The difference in the election totals in the 2020 presidential election, Joe Biden had 81 million, ostensibly, in the general election, and Donald Trump had 74 million. If a third of the registered voters who are Christians voted against communism and against socialism, and I'm hoping that maybe the GOP will use that as their rallying cry. Vote GOP because you want to vote against socialism. I mean, the Democrats did this in the 2022 midterms. Roe versus Wade was overturned. And where were they in November saying, if you vote a Republican, democracy is at risk. Nope, it wasn't, but it worked. Boy, did it work. Boy, howdy, did it work. Man, uh, this election is crucial, though. People will say this is the most important election of our lifetime. And quite frankly, the older I get, the more I begin to realize they're right. They are absolutely right. So if you are eligible to vote, register to vote. If you are registered to vote, make sure that you vote. And vote your conscience. Make sure that you are voting uh, according to biblical principles. Make sure that you are voting in such a way that your light will so shine before others that you'll see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Well, it's important that everyone understands how the country works, how the culture works, and especially for Christians. But it's surprising, it's actually shocking to see the number of parents right now who are looking at the young people in their world and wondering if they have what it takes to disciple their children. A shocking new study from the Arizona Christian University Cultural Research Center indicates that the number of Christian parents who feel ill-equipped to disciple their kids is virtually 90%. Only 9% of parents feel like they have what it takes and all the other 90% say, I'm waiting for the church to do the job. 
Dr. George Barna is the director, founder and director of the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Time for our annual New Year's checkup with Dr. George Barna to find out why so many parents do feel ill-equipped to disciple kids. Something's got to change. What's it going to be? We'll talk about that with Dr. George Barna coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, every time we are looking at the world around us, many of us in our generation, whether it be baby boomer, generation X, greatest generation, are looking to the future and we're asking the question, what is coming up behind us in terms of leadership, in terms of guidance, and and specifically, are there spiritual champions? And joining me today here on the Bottom Line Show, it's our regularly scheduled visit with Dr. George Barner, the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Uh, the Cultural Worldview Inventory that he's released recently uh, talks about a great fear that a lot of parents have, especially kids who are in that late school age, early middle school type of range. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. But first, welcome back, Dr. George Barna, to the Bottom Line Show today. Thanks, Roger. Always good to be with you. It's good to be with you, too. We, we've talked a lot of players who sing and bass players who really play bass, but we were just having a conversation before we started this segment here about lead guitarists and one you've discovered and other things that I've discovered. Did, did, are you? How do you rate your guitar skills? One to ten. Uh, what What's the lowest? <laughs> no, I, I'm in the negative numbers, but, uh, but I can still remember a few chords. But no, it, I, I was watching, uh, we were watching a, uh, a we're, actually we were visiting a church last weekend and the guy playing bass in the praise band was a guitar player with the pick holding it way up tight, trying to play bass notes. And he was playing it like a lead guitar. And I just shook my head and said, but I'm here. I'll try it. They didn't hear me. They didn't want me. They wanted him. But uh, there's that kind of difference between playing lead and holding down the chords, isn't it? Well, yeah, unless you're Jack Bruce or Billy Sheehan. Well, John Atwistle, yeah. Well, Sheehan, my goodness, forget it. I mean, that guy's all over the place. I can see why he's your favorite. The reason I bring that up, of course, is as parents, we're trying to hold down a bass, but we're also trying to teach our kids what the melody of life sounds like, how we stay diatonic. And that, of course, involves being grounded in Christian faith. And what you've discovered, and you write about this in your new book, Raising Spiritual Champions, is the fact that there are a lot of parents, quite frankly, if they're just being honest, who say, I have no idea what I'm doing. I really don't. I mean, I just feel helpless. I don't know what to do, especially in that key age group of kids, like I mentioned, late elementary school, early middle school. Talk about that, if you would. Yeah. You know, I mean, we found a lot of things about those parents. One of the things is that we know that they love their kids. And so they're doing what they think is going to be useful but of course life isn't simple it's complex so we're juggling a lot of things at once and at the same time that we're trying to love our kids we're also trying to advance our career we're trying to pay the bills we're trying to stay healthy we're trying to be a good american i mean you know all these different things that are competing for our attention and our resources and one of the things that we discovered is in the process while parents want to do well and often they're willing to pay money to bring in experts to raise their kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have a real plan. And that that's kind of the starting point where good parenting happens is you've got to have spent enough time thinking about this, that you have a plan that doesn't involve just shelling out money to other people who are good in different dimensions of mm-hmm. where you want your child to grow. That's really our job as parents is to, is for us to be a champion in the raising of a spiritual champion. So to be that, you've you've got to put in the time, you've got to put in the hard work. There's no shortcuts. It doesn't mean you have to be way ahead of your kids. You don't have to be a theologian if you want them to know the Bible, 
but you need to know enough about the Bible to be able to not only tell them about it, teach them about it, but also to live it, to show yeah. them what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Because our research is, is showing that our kids learn so much by how it's modeled for them. Yeah. And that's why the visual media have such a dramatic impact on the worldview of children is they're watching, they're watching, they're watching, they're watching. And when they see things in movies, TV shows, short videos on social media, uh, video games, all these different places where they're seeing things modeled, they're taking that in, they're thinking about it, they're trying to integrate the things that will work for them. And so parents have to be at the front of that parade of those who are modeling these kinds of principles for their children. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to live it. And when yeah. children see that being consistently done, they say, yeah, okay, I get it now. That's what I'm going to buy into. Mm. Boy, Dr. George Barner with some great wisdom for us today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, the book Raising Spiritual Champions is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we're talking about the latest release from his Worldview Inventory Survey about how to nurture a child's heart, mind, and soul in this way. When you're feeling a little inadequate, I think the first thing that you just mentioned, uh, the kind of the overarching theme of uh, your, your preamble there, Dr. Barna, is the fact that parents have to be aware of the fact that I don't want to say there's no downtime per se, but kids, especially little, little kids, but the younger ones, you know, as they get into elementary school and beyond, are soaking it all in and they're taking it from every different source. If you don't establish yourself as that primary source, whether it's just you saying, we're going to make sure we're watching the right TV, we're not going to get involved with the wrong video content or whatever it is. When parents set the tone, it becomes that much easier for us to train the child in the way he should go. Yes? Yeah, absolutely true. And, and it's part of this this overarching idea of, all right, so what am I going to do as a parent? So you've got to have that plan. And first part of that plan is that you've got to accept the fact that you're the parent, that God has entrusted this young life to you to raise up for his glory. And that's part of how you'll be evaluated in terms of your life. When judgment comes, that's part of the judging process. So you have to take that really seriously. So maybe maybe step number one is identity. You know, that's a big thing in our culture today. Yeah. What's mm -hmm. my sexual identity? Well, what's, what's your life identity? And in this stage of your life, your chief identity point needs to be, I'm a parent of a child that the Lord himself has entrusted to me yeah. for his purposes. And so now I've really got to think carefully about how am I going to use these first 13 years of that child's life? Because during that time, they're going to develop their worldview. Why does a worldview matter? Because it's going to determine how they live their life, who they mm -hmm. become, what they do for the kingdom of God, if anything. And so that worldview is critical. We've discovered over the years of doing all the worldview research, it's very, very unusual to find an adult who's actually living as a disciple of Jesus, who doesn't have a biblical worldview. Mm. And so when, you know, we come out at the beginning of every year with our American worldview inventory incidence numbers, and we say, okay, this year, what we found is there's only, as there is now, 4% of adults in America who have a biblical worldview. Wow. And then people say, but wait a minute, 68% of Americans call themselves Christians. The Christian church is big and it's healthy. And pastors tell us mm -hmm. that, you know, the numbers are growing and things are working swell. It's like not at 4% they're not, <laughs> because you've got a massive gap between those who identify 
as a Christian, but don't live like one. And if you don't live like one, you're not really one because the proof is in the pudding. The proof, you know, is, is in what you do. You can tell me what you believe all you want, but you do what you believe. And so if you're not living a life that is consistent with what you say you believe, you don't really believe it. Right. You believe perhaps that other people think you should believe it. You believe perhaps that that's the right thing to say. But if you're not living it, that's not who you are. You know, I'm talking with Dr. George Barnett today here on The Bottom Line about a biblical worldview, how important it is for those of us who profess faith in Christ to actually have one. And one of the things that I love about this book, Raising Spiritual Champions, George, is the the fact that you you identify these seven cornerstone beliefs that kids, you know, should be learning. That means ostensibly they should be learning them from us, their parents and grandparents. And that's the good news is that they are learnable. The bad news is how few of the kids are learning all seven. And then the really treacherous part of the conversation is if even one of these is out of the way, there's the probability of them getting a full biblical worldview down to practically nothing. Um, I know this is a quick order, 90 seconds before the break here. Do you want to pick one of these or maybe just give us a flyover of all seven and then we'll dig down a little deeper in them on the other side of the break? Yeah, I mean, they're they're actually very simple biblical principles, but they're profound. Most mm -hmm. profound things are simple. And so, you know, it's it starts with not only does God exist, but knowing his nature and character. It's all knowing, all loving, all powerful, holy, just, perfect, loves you, created you, wants a relationship with you. You know, second thing, you're a sinner. So that relationship is hindered. Uh, third thing is, but you can get over that through your relationship with Jesus Christ, acknowledging you're a sinner, asking him to forgive you, and truly repenting of all your sins. Why would you do that? Because he gave us the Bible to tell us how to lead a meaningful, impactful life. Uh, it's relevant and it's reliable. Uh, fifthly, as it is re reliable and relevant, it gives us absolute moral truth principles by which to live. And then sixthly, that's one of the things that helps us to know what success in life is. Right. And that's simply consistent obedience to God. How do we know right. what to obey? Well, the word gives us that. And then the final thing is to recognize it also tells us why we're here. And that's that our purpose is to know, love, and serve God with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul. Love it. Seven very simple things, kind of Sunday School 101. But when I look at how many Americans, and particularly kids, don't know these things, apparently we're not going to Sunday School. Yeah, not, or we're not learning anything if we are sitting in the seats there. Yeah, Dr. George Barnum, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, author of the brand new book called Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Stephanie Kovar understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. And the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated, and Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. 
and she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she's not the right attorney or that there is no case, she'll be upfront with you about it. If you've been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Welcome back to this first Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show for 2024. Dr. George Barna is my guest, and we're talking about new research from the Arizona Christian University Cultural Research Center uh, that is describing the number of parents who feel horribly ill-equipped to raise their children when it comes to spiritual values. As a matter of fact, only 9% of Christian parents feel that they have what it takes to do this job. The other 91% are waiting for somebody else to pick up the slack. You can get this report, by the way, these Cultural Research Center reports, part of the American Worldview Inventory. They're getting ready to release the 2024 American Worldview Inventory. You can sign up for free, by the way, to receive these uh, these updates. And go to thebottomlineshow.com. Tamara's got the link posted there. You can sign up. It's free. I mean, you have to give them your name and an email address. But otherwise, you get it for free. And also, don't forget Dr. George Barna is the author of the book Raising Spiritual Champions, which is an outstanding resource for parents and for grandparents because in the culture that we're living in right now, there are so many people who are uh, looking at the world and saying, something has to change. Something really has to change, but I don't know what it means. But here's something to think about, Grandma and Grandpa. If you are having new grandbabies come into the world, as we are here in the Marsh family here in 2024, we're going to have that happen twice. A person's worldview, according to George Barna's research, starts developing in the second year of life. That child, who is anywhere from 15 to 18 months of age, is developing a worldview. The question for you and me is, is that a biblical one? Are they singing little Christian Bible songs and things like that, reading those stories? A person's worldview is largely in place by the age of 13. And that's why this conversation is so important. Too many parents are abdicating that responsibility. Dr. George Barna has some great tips for how to reverse that curse. We're going to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friend. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas and Happy, Happy New Year, Year from, from all of us at Wilson Financial. Financial. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Dr. George Barna, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, we're talking about a new study that is taken actually from his entire brand new book called Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're talking about the statistic that so many parents in America today, Christian parents, people that we would identify as quote-unquote Christian or at least church-going household, the majority of parents saying, if I've got a kid between the ages of 8 and 12, I really don't know what I'm doing. I don't feel confident. And, you know, as I was thinking during the break, we were talking about uh, George and I have a great affinity for bass players. And we were talking about the Canadian rock band called Rush, 
and their bass player, Getty Lee, um, who's not my cup of tea at all. I mean, I, I like Rush. I've never been a fan of his sound or his playing or whatever, but I get that they connect with people. So I you know, have a ton of respect for them. But I was curious to find out why his name, you know, where that all came from. And it turns out his name is Gary and his middle name is Lee and his last name is really long, a Jewish family, the Holocaust survivor. When he was younger, his grandmother couldn't pronounce Gary. She, it always came out like Getty. And so people just started calling him Getty. And I thought, well, isn't that sweet? You know, grandma calls him Getty. And so everyone calls him Getty. But then I thought, wait a minute. Isn't that kind of what happens in our households too, where there are a number of parents who think they're saying the right things about scripture. They think they're getting it right, but it comes out some other way. We just kind of, oh, okay, I guess that how, that's how it is here. That's an oversimplification, George Barnum, but I kind of get the sense that that's where a lot of parents are. Maybe they thought they were you know, raising their kids the right way, or they thought they were being brought up that way, but they really don't fully appreciate what a biblical worldview looks like. Yeah, and, and I think that's a great analogy you bring up, and I really appreciate that it's musical in nature. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, the, it, it goes back to some of the worldview research we do, where we find, for instance, that we dare not call it a Christian worldview, because what we've discovered is that most people think that Christianity right. simply means that you're trying really hard to be a good person. And Jesus didn't die a brutal, unjust death on the cross for people to try really hard to do a good job in life. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there, there's a whole di different path that we've been called to follow by him. And so it's that same kind of thing. You know, most people think, look, I, I meant well, I tried hard, you know, I did better than some other people did. So, I mean, that makes me godly. That makes me Christian. That makes me righteous. Mm -hmm. And it really doesn't. How do we know that? Because God defines that for us. It's not up to us to define it. It's not us uh, up to us to change the principles to suit our culture, to suit our age. It is what it is. God made it. And so it doesn't change over time. And that's why having this biblical worldview, not a good person's worldview, not a culturally acceptable worldview, but having God's view of things is so critical. He's the one who determines truth. He's the one who determines righteousness. He's the one who he's the one who's gonna you know judge us ultimately. And that's why Jesus is so important in our life. You know, and we talk about how important Jesus is in our Christian faith, and yet in the world around us right now, as we're having this conversation, uh, there's been war going on in the Middle East. I mean, Russia invaded Ukraine a couple of years ago, and now you've got uh, Hamas and Hezbollah going after Israel. And I heard a statistic over the weekend that was really kind of shocking to me. I know a guy who's an attorney. He's a local talk show host here. He wrote a book on atheism, and he talked about going through a time in college when he was an atheist, but now he's back to being a devout Jew. And he said the thing, I asked him one time, well, didn't your parents really, weren't they concerned when you're going your, through your atheist type of phase? He goes, well, no, because they knew I was still Jewish. And I went, how are you Jewish and atheist at the same time? And then he explained the cultural track of Judaism and then you know the actual believing fact. And from what I understand right now, like 90% of people in Israel are in that mode. They're basically atheists. They're just kind of, oh yeah, we go to synagogue and this, that, and the other thing. And I thought, that's so horrific. And then I realized, well... <laughs> is, is, I mean, doesn't that kind of sound like what you're describing, what your research has shown us, Dr. George Barna, that a lot of Christian parents are saying, oh, yeah, we're Christians, but the way they live, they're basically, I mean, one statistic I just wanted to share and get your uh, comment on this. Uh, you write about heaven and hell and salvation and, and the number of kids, 8 to 12, who are aware 
of heaven and hell, 96%. But then the ones who've heard of heaven, only 79% believe it's actually a real place. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we got some work to do. I mean, <laughs> that 4% of kids surveyed didn't even know about heaven and hell, but so many of them, yeah, I've heard of it, but I don't know that it's real. I mean, these are, you talk about the Bible basics we were discussing in the earlier segment. We've really got to get back to square one with our parents, don't we? Yeah, we really do. And, you know, it's it, it's kind of like we're living in a nation that takes comfort from thinking that, well, we're, we're kind of a Christian nation. Mm -hmm. We're, we're, kind of as Christian as we want to be. We don't want to be too Christian because that's restrictive. You know, mm -hmm. that that's hard. And then you've got to make judgments and you've got to be discerning and you've always got, you know, you got to be studying, so you know, difficult. different principles and figuring out how to apply them. And, and then you've got a responsibility and you got to be talking to other people about these things. And some people are going to get upset by that. And so then you're going to have conflict you know, we don't need to go down that path. And, and so let's just be comfortable in our Christianity and enjoy life. Isn't that what God really wants for us? It's like, well, after a certain point, you can enjoy it after you've got the relationship with him. And what you're enjoying is the relationship, yeah. you know, as opposed to, yeah, I'm enjoying all the fruits of the world. Yeah. Eh, that's That's not really what he called us to. Right. You're enjoying the blessings more than the blesser. And yeah. if you don't have the discernment to see that, that is massive uh, and a huge uh, faux pas for those of us who are trying to raise our kids and grandkids in a godly way. Dr. George Barnum, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, his new book is called Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and also this report that's uh, part of the uh, uh, Center for Cultural Research at Arizona Christian University, uh, this new update on the pathway for children to becoming spiritual champions. You can sign up to receive these absolutely free, and we've got that link up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, well, okay, here we are. 2% of kids have a biblical worldview. 96% have fallen into the syncretistic category that you have so clearly defined. We Think of that as the buffet or the smorgasbord. I'll take a little Hindu, a little Buddha, a little Jesus, you know, and put it all together. Um, we've got some major problems, and it's amazing how many parents will just be in a panic over safety issues. Like, oh, they're killing children in Gaza right now, and my kids could be next, and that really freaks me out. But when it comes to what you're sharing with us, which sends all the hairs in the back of my neck, you know, straight up in the air, George Barna. Um, give us, you've given us an exhortation, but uh, take the last couple of moments of our time together here and really pound this in. For parents, as well as I know there are grandparents who are listening right now who maybe their adult children have kind of wandered off the beaten path and now they're looking at their grandkids saying, I don't want to lose them. Yeah, you know, one of the things that we as parents have to wrap our minds around or even as grandparents, you know, if we have a significant role in helping to raise our grandchildren, this is a period of sacrifice. You know, I'm not going to be able to do everything I want to do in life because I've got to be able to focus on and allocate time to lifting up our children to the Lord, really helping them to understand his principles, modeling for them, showing them what it looks like to be a Christian in a doubting world, mm -hmm. in a culture that thinks it's safe spiritually, but it really isn't. And, and having those kinds of daily conversations with our children or grandchildren about what it looks like, about what it means. And so, you know, we're here in a, a situation right now where even with our 8 to 12-year-olds, almost 4 out of 10 of them either know nothing about salvation 
or they think that they're going to be reincarnated mm. or have some other kind of outcome in life. Wow. And, and that's okay. But we need to know that so that we can discuss it with them and share with them God's plan for their life and tell them that's not actually true. That's what some people believe. But I mean, let's let, let's take a look at what the Bible teaches us about that and why I believe what the Bible teaches. Those are the com- kind of conversations that Deuteronomy 6 That great passage about parenting tells us, you know, every day, every moment we're with our kids, we need to be talking about these kinds of deeper, more profound things. You know, I love baseball. I love music. And and, and I love to talk with those things with my grandkids about that. But a steady diet of that isn't going to help them out. And so every time I'm with them, I make sure that there are some spiritual elements that we're talking about. And they know that when they come see grandpa, that's what they're going to get. You know, even my grown kids now who are raising their kids, they know every time they come over for a meal, there's going to be a discussion about spiritual things. Mm -hmm. And they they just know that they accept it. I hope they look forward to it. Sometimes I wonder, but that's my role. And and before God, that's my responsibility. So it's got to do it. It's amazing how much, you know, we've heard the expression, it's far more what is caught than taught, you know, in terms of the way we lay this information out. We do need to have the information that Dr. George Barnes put together, for example, in his book, Raising Spiritual Champions, that, you know, read that, memorize it, digest it, but then let it speak spill over into the lives of your kids and your grandkids as you're you're sharing these things because I mean we're we're talking about you know the the future generations of course but also maybe more importantly than trying to save our nation from being overrun by secularists and leftists but rather saying I I remember the words of Jesus where he said I will not lose any to whom the fathers entrusted to me and so if God has entrusted to you these children and they are called and to be called by his name then we have a huge responsibility George Barna and I appreciate the work that you've done in this area to kind of help well slap us around a little bit I don't know how else to type it I mean this is this comes across now not as a not as a cold slap in the face but maybe a thundering velvet hand as Dan Fogelberg would say yeah, I've heard worse expressions applied to me. So yeah, I, <laughs> but yeah, and I, this is one of those things. That's, you know, so many adults don't want to hear a program like this talking about raising children. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but what do you have for me today? What I've got for you today is raise your children to know, love, and serve God with all their heart, mind, strength, and soul, and they'll do it if you do it. And so all of us together need to be on that path but recognize that your kids are watching you every moment of every day. And so the more that you can show them, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, as opposed to this is what it means to get along in our culture. That's nice and it feels good, but in the end, it's not going to help you. What you got to do is really devote your life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. And be intentional about model for your kids and grandkids as well. Dr. George Barna, Director of Cultural, Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University and author of the brand new book called Raising Spiritual Champions, Nurturing Your Child's Heart, Mind, and Soul. There's a link for the book and the special report we've been talking about up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. George Barna, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for being with us today here on The Bottom Thank you, Roger. Well, Happy New Year to you, sir, and thanks for being with us today, Dr. George Barna, here on The Bottom Line Show, talking about why so many parents feel ill-equipped to raise their children. And I want to share that statistic again that we talked about earlier. The number of parents 
who feel as though they are equipped to give their kids what it takes to have a biblical worldview is 9%. And yet at the same time, George, George's most recent report in the American Worldview Inventory, a person's worldview starts developing during their second year of life. That cute little 15 to 18 month old toddler in your home is developing a worldview starting at that age. So if you're hitting them up with Miss Rachel and hip, 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 hippopotamus, right? uh, that's okay for language and vocab and things of that nature. But if they're not learning about God, if they're not learning about scripture, if they're not learning about morals and values, the time that window of opportunity starts when they're 15 to 18 months of age and is largely in place by the time they reach middle school. You can get a free copy of this worldview report, by the way, when you go to thebottomlineshow.com. Coming up next, if you're looking for a devotional that will help you move away from this idea that a lot of people have, where they quite frankly are just feeling as though there's a lot going on in life and they really don't know how to handle it. Uh, author, author and uh, pastor's wife, Trish Donahue, has a resource for you. It's called You Are Welcomed. It's devotions for when life is a lot. What do we mean by that? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into an issue that kind of stems from a phrase that has become popular in the current vernacular. And that is, if you know somebody who is kind of, uh, well, multifaceted, uh, always on the go, and uh, they, they, there's a lot of drama going along with them, sometimes in the vernacular of the day, younger people will say, that person is a lot. You know, just, there's a lot going on, and there, there's a lot happening in that life. Well, sometimes we have to take a step back and say, you know, when life is a lot, I mean, when, when it's just really too much to handle, whether it's the demands and trials and emotions you're going through, the good news is, A, you're not alone, and B, God says, I have a place for you. Uh, joined me, joining me today here on The Bottom Line is Trish Donahue. Uh, she's an author. She's a pastor's wife. She's uh, come up with a new devotional book that I think is going to be encouraging. It's a part of the Gospel Truth for Women series called You Are Welcomed, Devotions for When Life is a Lot. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Trish Donahue, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's good to have you here. Trish is the Director of Women's Ministry at Covenant Fellowship Church in Glen Mills. Is that what I get the city right on that one? You're in Westchester. Yeah, you got That's it. where you make Okay, you make your home in Westchester, and she's a pastor's wife and a mom of four. So what that means, quite frankly, is if anybody understands the concept of a lot, it's Trish Donahue. Um, is it a lot more, or does it just seem like a lot more that people are dealing with these days? That's a great question, because sometimes perceptions and reality are two very different things. Mm -hmm. I do think that we, we, we do have a lot to handle in life. Um, many of us do. And there's also this pressure of productivity, do more, accomplish more, be more, that sits on top of us and makes even the responsibilities we do have uh, seem like, you know, we're, we're never completing them like we should be. And so I feel like it's a, a mix of real responsibility, but also just pressure from ourselves and our culture to, mm -hmm. to always be doing more. I love that, uh, the, just identifying what it is, because if we don't know, it's kind of the you are here sign, you know, at the shopping mall or whatever. If you don't know where you are, 
Um, my dad used to say, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. So <laughs> understanding what the level of uh, frustration might be or the level of anxiety might be, I'm sure is, uh, is a huge part of beginning this journey. And I love the way you break this book down into basically uh, a 10-week study with 10 different attributes of things that we as believers can engage in. And of course, you're writing primarily to women, but I'm always nosy. I like to look at a good book like this and say, hey, there's something I can... <laughs> I can benefit from this too. Um, one of the things, you, you start right out of the, frust the, the, the shoot here talking about what you call a follower's frustration. Help us understand what you mean by that. Uh, yes. Well, so the, the first chapter is a follower's frustration, and it really is about the well-known Mary and Martha story. Mm -hmm. And we started with this particular one um, because each week deals with a particular uh, situation that a character in the Bible dealt with, and how really the answer to that was coming to God and interacting with God Himself. And so this first one in week one is about busyness and about the way Martha in the Bible really was wanting and demanding a certain thing, like, I have to get this done. I need to fix this problem to get what I want. And we see the same thing in our own hearts, just on a daily basis. Um, and it's so interesting, because really what Jesus is asking of her is coming to me, inter interact with me. It doesn't mean that you can't do your thing or do the task at hand, but come and sit at my feet and prioritize that before just checking off your to-do list. And so we thought, starting with that just gathers in almost every kind of reader and reminds us that life is not about checking off a task list. Sure, there are things that we absolutely need to do and God calls us to do, and yet when we put our hope in that and put our identity in that, um, we come up empty and then we wonder why. Mm -hmm. and, and so the story is just a beautiful illustration of Jesus saying, you know what, the thing that you think is most important in your life right now isn't most important in your life. Right. I am what needs to be most important in your life. And so it just sort of sets the tone for the rest of the chapters. Yeah, it really, and I'm grateful that you started this way, Trish Donahue, because of the fact that in that story, I think one of the gems that we often miss is the fact that when Martha's complaining and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, which is kind of a you know radical idea for a woman to be sitting there at the foot of a, a rabbi and, and hearing his teaching. But I love the way Jesus handles the situation where he doesn't say, hey, shame on you, Martha, you're bad, you're wrong, you're bad, you're wrong. He just says, look, you're, you're worrying yourself with a lot of stuff. But Mary made a better choice, you know, so come on in. You, you, this is this is available mm -hmm. for you. Because I think a lot of times when we are frustrated, we come to the Lord and we're kind of expecting him to say, we, our heart of hearts says, I want him to say, well done, Roger, you're amazing. And yeah, those people really suck, you know, I mean, who are coming after you. Instead of, or, or the other extreme is, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing all that stuff? Like there's going to be some condemnation. And the fact that we can be frustrated, we can take that to the Lord, and He's not going to condemn us, but rather to condone the better way and show us the more excellent way. That, that, that just brings me a sigh of relief, even just having that, that dialogue and conversation with you. Trish Donahue with me today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called You Are Welcomed, Devotions for Women When Life is a Lot. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Of course, prayer is a huge component of, uh, you know, dealing with those, uh, the, the anxieties and adversities of life. Uh, the third week you talk about the, the concept of being up for the fight. Uh, talk about what that means, because I think, I'm sure a lot of people are saying, wait, 
I want just God to lay me down beside green pastures and lead me beside still waters. I don't want to have to think about fighting all that much, but you lovingly take us in that direction. Talk about that if you would. Yes, absolutely. The, um, the chapter on fight really is something that we don't always want to do. You're, you're absolutely right there. And yet it's something that we see Jesus himself doing when we see him tempted uh, in the wilderness Satan is coming to him, and, and, and what we see him doing there is something that we can really emulate. And we know that Jesus is primarily our Savior, not our example. But in this story that Scripture gives us, we see him providing an incredible example for us. And that's that he encounters these temptations, and he looks for the lie inside of them. So a temptation is coming at me, and Jesus identifies the lie and counteracts it with the exact same scripture that we have in our Bibles and really fights this temptation with the very words of God. And so in the idea that, that, that we are to come to God for the busyness of life, when life is a lot, that we need God, interaction with God more than anything else, we see here that, you know, so often we have tips and strategies, and those things are good. I've benefited myself from you know, productivity tips and strategies. But when I see, figure out what exactly these temptations that are coming to me are saying about God and about myself, and counteract them with the very words of Scripture, just like Jesus did in the wilderness, fighting those temptations instead of just swallowing them and believing them, then we begin to see some real-life change. We begin to see God conforming us into the people that he's created us to be, making decisions based not upon how I feel in the moment or what lies my temptations are telling me, but on what God says, how he instructs me, how he tells me, you know, who I am. And so I think fighting those thoughts that come at us, those temptations and lies that come at us is one of the most uh, helpful and crucial things we can do when life is a lot. Because I do Mm. find that when life has a lot coming at us, uh, temptations and lies come at us at a greater rate. Right, right. Yeah, there's nothing truer than that. And Trish Donahue is helping us identify how how do we experience, you know, just that presence of God when life is a lot. Her brand new devotional is called You Are Welcomed, Devotions for When Life is a Lot. It's part of the Gospel Truth for Women series. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've got a few more of these different attributes that we're going to take a look at. But when you take a look at this resource, understand that this is a perfect Bible study written by a director of women's ministries, who's also a pastor's wife, who's also a busy mom with four kids, who understands, you know, that this is how life can be, especially in the 21st century. And, and as we are kicking off a new year here, here. Um, now's a perfect time to kind of get the priorities lined up and get them straight. So we've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Special update here for our friends at Preborn who provide free ultrasounds for women who are in pregnancy situations that perhaps they didn't plan. And when they go and get the ultrasound, here's what happens. They see the images of the baby and then they say, oh my goodness, this is a baby, not a blob of tissue. 85% of the time, a woman who goes to a preborn clinic and sees the picture of her preborn child will either 
say I'm going to take this child home once he or she is born and be a mom, or once the child is born, I'm going to release that child for adoption. Uh, we've been thanking Bottom Line Show listeners here who are getting their uh, donations in under the wire. I want to thank someone called December, who is uh, calling in from Murrieta with a $200 donation to Preborn at 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229-BABY. And the good news is December's gift is doubled thanks to a special matching grant from Preborn that is in place through the month of December. 833-850-BABY is the number to call to give a gift online to Preborn or go online. Hit the Preborn banner at kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Every dollar you donate to Preborn through those portals goes exclusively to ultrasound technology and the gift is doubled now through December 31st. Go to kbrightradio.com and click on the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. First Super Tuesday edition for 2024, and we're kicking it off with a great discussion about if you're just kind of feeling overwhelmed, we're starting this brand new year, and already your schedule seems like it's a lot. That's kind of a uh, cool colloquial expression uh, when someone will say, you know, I'd like to hang out with that person, but he's a lot. That just means there's a lot going on in your life. And Trish Donahue is an author and a pastor's wife who's written a book to help those of us who are dealing with the allots in world and in the world. It's called You Are Welcomed. It's a devotion for when life is a lot. It's part of the Gospel Truth for Women series. And we've got a link for the book at thebottomlineshow.com and A, it's Super Tuesday. Guess what? We have not one, not two, not three, but four copies of this book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, the outstanding new book by Trish Donahue called You Are Welcomed, Devotions for When Life is a Lot is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've got not one, not two, not three, but four copies of this book we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus is coming your way next. For those who remain with us on the network, we've got words of encouragement for you if you're just feeling like the pressure of life is really getting to you. Emotional pressure, pressure, financial pressure, spiritual pressure even. Uh, the, not the way God called us to live, but definitely there is an antidote for it. Tr- author Trish Donahue is going to give us more tips for dealing with uh, life when life is a lot. Coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Trish Donahue is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Trish is the author of a brand new book called You Are Welcomed, Devotions for Life When Life is a Lot. Uh, there's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Trish Donahue is the uh, director of women's ministry at Covenant Fellowship Church at Glen Mills, uh, Pennsylvania. She's the author of Between Us Girls, Walks and Talks for Moms and Daughters, and this latest book, You Are Welcomed. Uh, she's a pastor's wife, a mom of four, um, family makes their home in Westchester. Trish, what's it like at home in the Donahue world this, these days? It's tough enough to be the director of women's ministry at a church, but then when your husband's the pastor, I'm sure that makes things nice and easy breezy for the two of you, right? Just a casual, <laughs> all sorts of casual days. No, no hormones and drama going on in your home. That's for sure. That's right. Yeah, I do find, like all of us find, that just when we feel like we've figured it out, it changes. Right? Life mm-hmm, is like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, you figure out the ages of your kids, and then they then they have birthdays and and mm-hmm. uh, and change. So it's actually a wonderful life. It is busy with church and ministry, and we do have four children who are transitioning in the transition process to adulthood. 
Um, and so, you know, there's all kinds of life decisions being made, but it's a delight. Yeah, even well, even that changes. I mean, it used to be we think, okay, you got those kids for the next 18 years, which became the next 21, 25, 30. <laughs> you know, it seems like it takes longer and longer for them to launch. But uh, And we're more involved in that, too. But uh, God bless you guys for the work that you're doing. Interesting title, You Are Welcomed, Devotions for When Life is a Lot. Uh, how did you arrive on that, Trish? Yeah, well, the, the interesting, uh, as I was thinking about this book and putting it together, um, we talked a bit in the beginning of the interview about some of the action words that are the chapter titles. They're, they're verbs, if you remember from English class, come, mm-hmm. pray, fight, yield, obey, things that we do as we come to God, behold, settle, trust. We do these things in particular situations. And yet the, the more important aspect is that we can only do those action words. We can only come to God because we are welcomed. And the book's titled, You Are Welcomed. That's something that God does for us. And so I think it's important to remember that we are called to respond to God. We are called to come. And yet the only way that we can do that is because He has welcomed us through Christ, through the good news of the gospel, to be united with Him, having our sins forgiven, and just we're, we're able now to boldly come into His presence and it's interesting because as Christians, we're often oddly slow to do this. I know that's the case for me. I'm welcomed into the, the, the wonderful family of God and the, the throne room of, of God, and yet I'm slow to come. And so this book is an attempt to remind us of what we know is true, that we're welcomed by our generous God, and now we get to, to uh, respond to Him in these ways. I'm so glad you used the word remind, Trish, because I think that is a it's an action that we don't uh, we don't put into practice enough. Years ago, when I was first starting out in my pastoral journey, I was uh, in seminary, and part of my uh, internship responsibilities at the church I was working at was to lead a Bible study at a retirement community, which ironically now my parents live at, but this was 20-some years ago. And there was an old retired pastor who was leading the, um, the, the study, men and women, you know, just both having, you know, all having a great time. And I would kind of assist him. And then one week he was not feeling well, so I led the Bible study. And the next week there were more people there. And so he was asking what I talked about. And I said, well, we're just going through the same study, whatever it was in. But afterwards I was talking to some of the folks about uh, what they were getting out of the Bible study. And they said, well, we love it when you talk because you're helping us remember things that we already know. You know, and I, this pastor, was he was frustrated because people weren't learning anything. He kept saying to me, Roger, they're too old. And I said, well, <laughs> Pastor Doug, no disrespect intended, but so are you, brother. But um, it was amazing, though, how the things that get implanted in our hearts and things that we know, and when we do start to feel overwhelmed by the, you know, the trials and tribulations of life, A, we're not alone, but B, chances are these are things we've gone through before. And we, I think of the psalmist, you know, who keeps saying, but I will remember, but I will remember. And that, that's really, it really is essential, isn't it, when you're, when you're going through a tough time or a tough season? It is. And I think, you know, our culture is always trying to tell us, you need something new. Here's a new way. Here's a new thing and a new strategy. And, and, and again, new things can be good, but, but it's not always a new thing we need. Really what we need is the old, old story. We need new reminders mm-hmm. of that story, new, new reminders and ways to look at that and and so I think that search for, like, the missing piece that we can all feel, so often it's, it's opening our Bibles or opening a book that leads us to our Bibles. 
It's interaction with God. It's maybe rereading um, an encouraging word. And so I think it's true that reminding each other, I mean, I find even with my friendships, what is encouragement to a friend? It's reminding them of what they know is true about the Lord. It's reminding them of God's faithfulness and trial. And I know that's what's most meaningful to me is just remind me of what I know is true. And so that was one of our attempts, our hopes even for this book is it's, it's a new book and yet it's a reminder of the the, the infallible and old and beautiful gospel, which is really ever new. Mm-hmm. Ever new, new every morning. And I love the fact that that passage in Scripture in particular is in Lamentations, just as a, <laughs> lest we ever forget yeah. the fact that when, when you see the, the lament of Jeremiah and complaining and complaining, and yet it's, uh, you know, the, 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 the steadfast love of the Lord is unending and the mercies are new every morning. Uh, Trish Donahue's book is called You Are Welcomed, Devotions for When Life is a Lot. It's part of the Gospel Truth for Women series, but guys, I think you will benefit from this as well. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Trish, we're starting a new year here. How would you recommend uh, individuals use this book, or maybe this is a Bible study? or part? What's, what's the best way for us to get the most out of what you've written? I think it's perfect for individuals to go through by themselves. It's easy. It has, uh, in the sense of an easy format, there's um, a scripture reading and then a devotional and some questions to ask. But it would also be equally easy to use with a friend or a small group, um, just working through uh, a chapter a week or every two weeks. So I think uh, when you get your hands on the book, if the listeners will see that it's a very easy book to follow. So I think they could consider it for, you know, individual devotional times or group studies as well. Mm-hmm. It's a great resource, and I highly recommend it. Two thumbs way up from the Bottom Line show here. And I'm grateful that we've had this conversation today. Trish Donahue, the book is called You Are Welcomed, Devotions from, for When Life is a Lot. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. Trish, thank you for this great work. Uh, thank you for everything that you've put into your ministry, uh, you and your husband and with your family and also with your church. And a happy new year from all of us here at the Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Well, a great conversation, and thank you so much to Trish Donahue for joining us today here on The Bottom Line. Her book is called You Are Welcomed, Devotions for When Life is a Lot. The book is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one, not two, not three, but four copies of this book that we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Yeah, here we go. It's January 2nd, right? We're giving stuff away. I mean, it's just first giveaway of 2024. And I'm glad we have not one, not two, not three, but four copies of this book to give away by Trish Donahue. It's a 10-week discussion here. And it focuses on different aspects of scripture and how we can put together a 10-week battle plan, if you will, for dealing for the problems of life when it gets to be, quote unquote, a lot. We come to the Lord. And we share our frustrations with him. We pray. I mean, who doesn't pray? Who shouldn't pray? But that's where the conversation begins once we come to the Lord. And then we fight. We have to understand that we're not just fighting our fight, but we're fighting the fight that God has called us to fight. And then there's the yield, too. This may be just as important. If you've ever gone through this kind of battle, and or, or a battle of any sort, you know, sometimes it's kind of like getting on rush hour, you're getting on the five or the 405 or whatever freeway you take. 
And when you're merging with traffic and you're driving along and everyone's trying to go where they're trying to go, sometimes it's foot on the gas, sometimes it's foot on the brake, sometimes it's take the foot off the gas and let somebody get in front of you or you go, you have to do this little do-si-do on the road. It's the same type of thing when life is kind of overwhelming you. And then of course, obedience. How many times do you find yourself in a tense situation and then you realize, wait a minute, it's, what's the prayer of Jesus in the garden? Not my will, but thy will be done, O Lord. These are just some of the, the themes that are discussed in this new book by Trish Donahue called You Are Welcomed, Devotions for When Life is a Lot. We've got not one, not two, not three, but four copies of this book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, Got to do a little analysis, balance, and clarity here on this Super Tuesday. Politicians will talk a great game about whatever it is they can talk a great game about. And then something comes along that kind of knocks them and everyone back into reality. You may have heard what's been going on in San Francisco about the whole issue with homelessness. And uh, remember when uh, the Chinese president or premier, uh, Xi, came to visit and there was a massive homeless cleanup uh, in San Francisco because they, it, it, basically what it sounded like is it sounded like, remember the, the Olympics were held in Beijing? And the Chinese basically arrested all the homeless and dispatched them and cleaned up the streets. For three weeks, they wanted to, the world to think that China was this perfect place. And then they let it all show back up again. Well, something's happening similar to that in San Francisco. They did this when, um, when President Xi showed up into the city but san francisco has a much larger problem and it's worth looking at and this is not something we do with glee and joy and hands pumping in the air but it's something where it's nice to see that there's a little bit of juris uh, or i should say not juris um restraint being uh shown by the mayor's office but it just kind of goes to show that just because people think this sounds like a good sound bite things like it sounds like a good idea if the money isn't there, you really can't go off and start a new agency and throw money at people that isn't really there, especially when you have their, uh, the, the problems that San Francisco has had. A big announcement with regard to the San Francisco City's Office of Reparations. Maybe you heard about this. Uh, we'll get into a little bit more. The city of San Francisco established a task force. They established an office of reparations to examine uh, payouts to people of African-American descent based on how long they lived in California and whether or not they had been discriminated against because slavery was never legal in California, but there were people who were discriminated against because of color that, uh, you know, the, the, the idea was to try to uh, right the wrongs of the past. The city reparations plan was approved and then big old shift happened a couple weeks ago. We'll get into that in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. 
We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas and, and Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year from all of us at Wilson Financial. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. My thanks again to Trish Donahue for joining me today here on The Bottom Line with our first giveaway resource of 2024. It's her book called You Are Welcomed, Devotions for When Life is a Lot. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And because of Trisha's generosity, or maybe it's her publisher, I'm not sure, uh, we have not one, not two, not three, but four copies of this book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. You know, Crystal's all well-rested from the holiday. So call and put her to the test. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Love to place one of these four copies of the book, You Are Welcomed, Devotions for When Life is a Lot, into your hands today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Okay, reparations has been on the minds of a lot of people for a long time. If you've seen, if you've done even a cursory look at American history, it's no secret that a number of African Americans came to the U.S. because they were sold into slavery by African slave traders, and there was that whole you know triumvirate of going you know to uh, to get the slaves and trade for the wrong. It's just it's it's a horrific part of American history. It is what it is. People of all different backgrounds own slaves at one point. I mean, it's, we, we have a tendency to think of this as a whites are bad and blacks are good type of situation, but there were African-Americans who owned slaves. There were Native Americans who owned slaves. If you do history into the Tulsa race war of 1921, Memorial Day-ish in 1921, where there was a business sector called referred to as Black Wall Street because there were so many black former slaves who had prospered that by 1921 they'd set up this huge business establishment there were actually more millionaires per capita in Tulsa than there were on Wall Street until the mayor of Tulsa decided to deputize a whole bunch of people and their goal was to literally wipe out black Wall Street people hundreds of people were killed businesses were destroyed it was awful the Bruce's Beach example in Manhattan Beach yet another example and this is just a few guys we could do this all day we could do it all week of the cases of where African-Americans have been subjected to segregationism. I mean, it's, it's a reality. We're, we're crazy to try to play whataboutism with it. I mean, it's, it happened. There are, there are too many, uh, and it still continues to happen. That being the case, though, progressive Democrats have kind of been obsessed for the past several years with saying, well, you know what we need to do? We need to spend more government money. That'll solve the problem. Let's come up with lots of big pay incentives for people of African-American descent and reparations. That'll make everything work all better. That's what everyone's waiting for. Just give me a check and I'll go away. I, I'll be honest with you. In our household, conversations about reparation are usually very short. It's like, please don't just think you could pay somebody off with a check to right wrongs. Rather, if the opportunities have been blocked out, then unblock them. Give everybody a fair shot at things. Well, San Francisco, of course, made headlines by appointing, actually establishing an office of reparations. And they were very adamant about the fact that they wanted to right the wrongs 
of, uh, you know, in the name of social justice and civil rights, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I have to be honest with you. Um, the When you think of African-Americans and slavery and things like that, San Francisco doesn't usually come to mind as a hotbed of slavery. And yet the citizens of San Francisco decided and voted in legislation that said we need this office of reparations and we need basically when they decided that they were going to uh, put this thing together, someone ran a tally on this. I mean, here, here was it. The reparations for long-term black residents in San Francisco, the initial proposal was that every black resident who had been here for a certain number of years, long-time residents, you had to live here 50, 60 years, had to have some direct connection to people who were slaver, uh, slavery. And the proposal was $5 million per individual. Um, it's interesting. The, Supervisor Shaman Walton wanted to include money in this year's budget for reparations. Um, basically, when they decided this year that they've, they're not going to be able to afford it. This is the quote from the supervisor. My hope is that the city's deficit is eliminated quickly so that we can fund the Office of Reparations and fulfill the commitment that was made to address the historical injustices and inequities that have persisted for generations for black San Franciscans. Now, bear in mind, California uh, it was admitted to the Union in 1849, entered the state as a free state in 1850. Slavery has never been legal in California. So the idea that we need to rush to social justice in California is probably not as pressing as, say, Mississippi or South Carolina, Georgia, perhaps. But California doesn't really seem to be that big a deal. Well, $5 million per person, and there were other incentives that were supposed to be uh, uh, you know, thrown at this as well. But when someone pulled out the old calculator, it looked like it was going to be a little more expensive than perhaps they thought. How expensive, you ask? Well, let's pull out the old calculator and see how much uh, was actually going to be at stake here. There is a budget shortfall, as you can imagine, in the city of San Francisco. Remember, they don't have enough money to keep the streets clean. They don't have enough... Uh, they don't have enough to cover all this and what's going on. But basically, um, they've had to not only postpone the reparations for this year, they basically had to shut down the entire office of reparations. Um, funding for the office was pulled back amid Mayor London Breed's $75 million in budget cuts in preparation for the expected shortfall that the city of San Francisco is going to have to deal with. Retail businesses are pulling out. Uh, San Francisco has been trying to recover from, gosh, it's the craziest thing. The COVID-19 closures and restrictions where San Francisco and the whole Bay Area was leading the way. Now, for some reason, all of a sudden, it's really messing with their economy. A lot of retail businesses, as we reported here on the Bottom Line Show, have just pulled up and left. They say that the rise in homelessness, public drug use, crime. Um, a lot of workers who had the opportunity to work remote during the pandemic are still working remote. As a matter of fact, ironically, since we were talking about the uh, Tulsa race war 
from 1929, Tulsa, Oklahoma actively recruited people from San Francisco to come live in Tulsa and work their jobs remotely from there. But if you take the number of people seeking reparations and it was going to be $5 million per resident who qualified, the fact that they had to cut $75 million from the shortfall means that there weren't a whole lot of people who actually qualified for this. And yet overall, the city of San Francisco is facing a $780 million budget deficit. Now that's for two fiscal years, but that's still an awful lot of money. But what is the city actually going to do in the process and what have they done rather quietly to help stop the bleeding of their spending? A couple of things caught my eye. I want to share them with you on the other side of this break because the bottom line continues. Special update here for our friends at Preborn who provide free ultrasounds for women who are in pregnancy situations that perhaps they didn't plan. And when they go and get the ultrasound, here's what happens. They see the images of the baby and then they say, oh my goodness, this is a baby, not a blob of tissue. 85% of the time, a woman who goes to a preborn clinic and sees the picture of her preborn child will either say, I'm going to take this child home once he or she is born and be a mom, or once the child is born, I'm going to release that child for adoption. Uh, we've been thanking bottom line show listeners here who are getting their uh, donations in under the wire. I want to thank someone called December, who is uh, calling in from Murrieta with a $200 donation to Preborn at 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229-BABY. And the good news is December's gift is doubled thanks to a special matching grant from Preborn that is in place through the month of December. 833-850-BABY is the number to call to give a gift online to Preborn or go online. Hit the Preborn banner at kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Every dollar you donate to Preborn through those portals goes exclusively to ultrasound technology and the gift is doubled now through December 31st. Go to kbrightradio.com and click on the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to this Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Mayor London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, has announced 75 additional, 75 million additional dollars in budget cuts um, after initially saying she was going to shrink uh, the uh, Department of, uh, well, basically the, uh, uh, the, the, the Office of Reparations was going to shrink their budget by about $120 million. Uh, now she's basically shutting the whole office down because they just don't have the money. They have a $780 million budget shortfall. And so in spite of the fact that San Francisco is one of those defund the police places, they've actually had to increase funding for police because businesses and residents say they have safety concerns. They also had to do something else too. Remember when, it was about 2012, 2013, everybody was doing the travel boycotts. Hey, North Carolina is going to pass measure one and that's going to ban transgender people from public restrooms, make them use the rest the gender they were assigned at birth. And let's, let's, I think Jerry Brown was our governor back then said, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and uh, uh, no California state employees can travel here on the public dime. You know, that ban has still been in effect. When San Diego state's men's basketball team made it to the final four and then the NCAA championship and they were in Texas for the finals. Remember that trip to Texas? Texas is on that travel ban list that California had. 
So private donors, or maybe it was the NCAA themselves, had to pay for San Diego State's men's basketball team to travel there because the state of California said, no way, we're not going to do it. Well, guess what happened? The city of San Francisco has actually terminated their travel ban and the contracting boycott on whether or not they can do business with red states. You know why? (laughs) Two reasons. First of all, it was not having the intended impact. Oh yeah, we won't go there and your business will be suffering. Well, guess what? Those states didn't miss San Francisco's money at all, number one. Number two, it wound up costing San Francisco money because of the fact that even in spite of the fact they were saving on travel costs, the extra business that comes to San Francisco from doing business with those red states disappeared so they were standing on high moral ground apparently but that high moral ground did not lead them to a situation where they could actually benefit here's the bottom line brothers and sisters when it comes to politics beware of the people who posture beware of the people who pose and beware of the people who put their personalities over their policies we have to be people of principle rather than personality. We have to be people of policy rather than politics, especially as Christians. But the only way we can let our voices be heard is to cast your vote. Make sure you are registered. Make sure you're eligible. Then make sure you're registered and make sure you cast your vote in the the primaries coming up soon and then in the general election coming up this November. Uh, By the way, I still have a few moments left to get in on the conversation here for the last call for these four books we've been giving away from Trish Donahue, our guest earlier in the broadcast today. Her great devotional to start off the year called You Are Welcomed, Devotions for When Life is a Lot, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have not one, not two, but three, no, four copies of the book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Just a few seconds left for you to get in on this giveaway. Let's face it, in the world that we're living in right now, life is a lot. But isn't it nice to know that we can go to our Savior who says, come to me, all you are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May these words from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30 comfort you in the a lot that you're dealing with in life. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.